The following podcast contains information and real stories about sexual assault and or violence which may be triggering to survivors. In the morning newspapers, a third allegation of sexual assault by afternoon, a fourth. Another former staffer alleging the man had run his hand up her thigh in a After a rape allegation and a question time sex scandal. In 2016, the Australian Bureau of Statistics estimated that 1 in 6 women and 1 in 16 men have experienced some form of sexual crime since the age of 15. On top of that, most major studies indicate that 25% of young women between ages of 15 and 21 will experience some form of sexual crime within that 6 year time frame. This is far too high. In a time where the world is changing so fast, sexual crime seem to be regularly dominating the news. Which begs the question, why is this and how can we help prevent it? I'm your host, Byron Dempsey, a 22-year-old podcaster from Sydney, Australia. Join me as I interview Brent Sanders, one of Australia's most respected communicators in the field of sexual crime, criminal profiling and personal safety in secondary schools and universities. He may have been to your school. Having spoken to over 900,000 students on the subject, this podcast aims to educate young people around the reality of sexual crimes and the severity of these crimes. Together, we explore the legal definitions as well as the ethical and moral, wrapping these up in metaphors and stories in an easy-to-listen-to and easy-to-understand way. Welcome to this episode. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm with Brent Sanders again, and we're going to be talking about consent. So this is episode one of this series, and we've started with what I guess most important, not too sure, I think most asked about, frequently asked about, um, everyone it's talking about consent. What is it? It's very gray. Is it gray? Let's talk about definitions. So we're going to get into consent and you know some stuff around that. And we'll start off with just what are some of the myths around consent that you are hearing and you see? Yeah, look, it's it's you're right, Byron. This is um this is the cornerstone of this discussion. You know, when we're talking about inappropriate sexual conduct, um, I often find myself saying that you know. When we look at respect and relationships, respect and intimacy and things such as that, the legal word for respect is, is consent. We all know that a sexual crime is, is an intimate action without consent. Mm. So it's very much a cornerstone of this discussion. You talk about myths around consent, and, and, and look, you're right. And I, and I think um, part of the confusion is it's like anything in life. If, if we have a vacuum, if we don't have knowledge, it gets filled with something and it's often filled with misinformation. Yeah. Um, the way that I look at some of the myths is not to point the finger at people and say, oh, well, you got it wrong. But I'll give you an example. When I stand up in front of a group of um, secondary school students or university students, I'll often when we start to get into consent, I'll say, um, uh, what does a person need to do or say to be consenting? And overwhelmingly, the word that you get back from that group, whether it's year 9, year 10, year 11, year 12, university, when you say, what does a person need to be doing or saying to consent, the word that comes back is the word yes. Right. 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 So now, so then I'll, I'll push back and say, okay, so when a person says yes, they have consented and everybody nods their head. Now, look, the, the problem here is this. Um, the, the myths are often developed because they are half truth. Right. And, and there is truth to that. There is truth to that. There are countless situations when, when a person says, yes, they are consenting. The problem is there are other situations where a person says, yes, and it is not consent. And I think what tends to happen is we take on board these messages and we apply them as absolute. 
So the message is the word yes equals consent. So when somebody utters the word yes, they have consented. Now, there's a couple of inherent problems there. Firstly, the word yes does not appear in any legal context of consent. If you go across, if we look at New South Wales as an example, if you go to Section 61 of the New South Wales Crimes Act, which is where all the sex offences are laid out, definitions of sexual intercourse consent, the word yes does not appear in any context mm. of consent. So it's interesting when we just look at that aspect, that people, when they think of consent, the most common word they think of is the word yes, but the word yes doesn't actually appear in any legal definition of consent. So we're, we're going to have a problem here. Meaning... It can't be used as a defence, right? Because if it's not in the crimes unit, the crime. it can't be used as a defence. Yeah. Oh, but she said yes. That's right. Well, because when a person says yes, the question that's asked with regard to consent, we'll get into this in a moment, did they say yes freely? Mm. So somebody saying yes does not equal pers- consent. The problem is this. Then we go the next step. And let's say, for example, if we accept that many of the young people I talk to of an age where primarily it's males crossing the line against young women. Which what is if, the most common example. It is the right. most common Let's example in that age group. Yeah, it's yeah. not the only example, but it's the most common. If we have a, a group of young men who are told or infer or believe that the word yes equals consent, we're half a step away from that young person thinking, if I can get someone to say yes, then they have consented. Because the focus is more on the utterance of a word than what consent actually means. So the word yes can mean consent, but there's circumstances when it doesn't. So that's one myth. Then it flows on to another myth. The other myth is this. If somebody starts out saying no to an intimate exchange and they stop saying no or they change their mind, that is consent. Now, again, like the yes discussion, it could be. But people don't say it like that. People say it or think it as an absolute. Mm. When a person says yes, it's consent. When a person starts out saying no and they change their mind, it's consent. It could be, but it often isn't. For example, um, I speak to, sadly, young women on a weekly basis who have been subjected to sexual offences who started out saying no to the intimate exchange and then they stopped and they had a sexual offence committed against them. Sadly, they are often told by well-meaning friends that because they stopped saying no, at that moment, they consented. And if, again, if we put that in the mind of somebody who's initiating that exchange, it can sound to them like this. Oh, okay. Well, this person's saying no to what I'm doing at the moment. But if I keep applying pressure, if I keep pushing, they might stop saying no, and that's consent. Mm. Well, it's not. The moment you start to apply pressure and, and, you're, and, and you're putting pressure on somebody verbally, physically, and what have you, consent's gone out the window. And so, then you add in alcohol, you add in a power dynamic, a yeah. so- social yeah. hierarchy, all, all that, that sort of stuff. All that. So I would say, what are the big myths around consent? It's, it's, it's we, we get too simplistic with our definition and we cut corners. Here's the problem. Let's go into now what the legal definition of consent is. And when you hear it, it's a lot more nuanced and layered mm. than the than the false definition which is yes but the false definition is very easy to get your head around Mm. it's simple somebody says yes it's consent somebody stops i know it's consent so what happens is this then i come in and i and i do my talk and i say well okay that's what people think here's the definition now when people hear the definition sometimes oh goodness now i'm confused Mm. i thought if i said yes i'll stop saying now i've consented now i've heard the legal definition well okay 
how do I get through the confusion? So we've got to get into the definition, which we'll do. Then what I'm going to do is provide all of those listening with a very simple, succinct test that can be applied to determine legally whether consent has been given. So let's look at the legal definition. Here's what the law says. Now, this is pretty much universal throughout Australia, pretty much universal around the world. Yeah, great. If you, if you go to the law and, and look at the definition of consent, it basically says this. Consent is when a person gives their permission, and we're talking here about an intimate exchange. It's when a person gives their permission or changes their mind freely. Freely. That's mm. the key word to consent. So consent is when a person gives their permission or changes their mind freely without being subjected to any form of threats, force, or violence, which is basically recognized as physical pressure. But it also goes further and includes any form of coercion or manipulation. Mm. Now, coercion and manipulation are generally legal terms used to describe nonviolent threats. Could be verbal, could be psychological, could be a, you know, blackmail or guilting. manipulation, guilting, guilting so all these yeah. types of things. So when we lay that out on the table, here's how it sounds. For a person to give consent to an intimate exchange, that person must either give their permission, which could be saying yes, or change their mind freely without the other person using any form of threats, force, violence, coercion, or manipulation, which is physical, verbal, or psychological pressure, which mm. under any reasonable test makes the person do what they otherwise wouldn't have done. Okay, so when we look at that legal definition, the key word for me in there is the word freely, because the fundamental difference between the misinterpretation of consent and the actual definition is the absence of the word freely. Mm. Look at the difference between thinking. If a person says yes or they stop saying no, it's consent, which is the myth, versus the law that says to consent a person must give their permission or change their mind freely without being subjected to any form of threats, force, violence, coercion, manipulation. So when we look at this, and there's lots of different ways we can look at this. When we look at this from a legal perspective, consent is not actually defined by what somebody says, by what somebody does, or whether they change their mind. It's defined by whether they said it, did it, or changed their mind freely. Mm. And to determine whether a person did it freely, the law gets us to look at the actions of the other person. So consent of an individual is actually legally defined, if you like, by the actions of the other person in the intimate exchange. So consent has to be permission that comes freely without any external pressure. So as I said to you before, Byron, um, when I do this in my seminars, understandably, um, this is a more nuanced definition, a more layered definition than, oh, I thought consent was when you said yes or you stopped saying no. It's specific though. Like a great example is yeah. when we're setting goals, a, a quote I use is, could any fool tell if you achieved your goal? With that definition, could any fool tell if they consented? With that definition, they should be able to. Versus yes or no, it's like, well, I'm not too sure. Yes. And look, it's the word freely. That's mm. the key. Um, I, I did a seminar with some year 10 students on Friday, and uh, or a couple of seminars. I did one with young women and one with young men. And, and, and um, I said, guys, if I can do nothing else in this talk here today when we're talking about consent, if I can do nothing else and have you walk out of my talk and the next time you think about consent, whether you're giving it, whether you have it, whether a friend comes to you to share a story and you're trying to determine whether they provided consent, if I can achieve nothing more than when you think of the word consent, 
from this day forward, you think of the word freely mm. rather than the word yes or no. Well, we've taken a big step in the right direction because freely is the key. Now, so we've gone from the myth. We've looked at the legal definition. Now I think it's important to say, okay, how do we apply that legal definition? What does that feel like to consent? How do we best identify it? Um, and there's a little test, Byron, which, which, which I've been putting out for the 25 years that I've done this. It's very similar, if you like, to what detectives in the sex crimes unit would be doing, in essence, to determine whether consent has been given or whether it hasn't. So here's how it often pans out. After my talk, after the consent se- um, segment, and we have a bit of a break, sometimes people will come forward and say to me, you know what, I, I thought coming into this talk that consent was a very simple thing, saying yes, yeah, stop saying no. Now I've heard the legal definition. Now I'm a little confused about whether an, an intimate exchange I had three weeks ago at a party was actually mm. a consent or it wasn't. At the time I thought it was. Now I know the actual definition of consent. I'm a bit confused. To cut through that confusion, here's a really good test to apply. Here's what I would say to that person. I say, okay, here's what I want you to do. This little test takes about five seconds. And I would say it's like 99% effective to determine from a legal context whether consent has been given or whether we're talking about submission. Mm. Yeah. So here's the test. I would say to this young person, take your mind back to the intimate exchange that you're thinking about. And I want you to think about the intimate exchange. And as you're thinking about it, I want you to ask yourself, did you do what you did intimately with this other person because you chose to, because you wanted to, you were fine with it, you did it freely, you were totally okay with it? If so, you are more than likely describing a consensual exchange. Conversely, if you take your mind back to an intimate exchange and you think about it, and you realize that the reason that you had that intimate exchange was because the actions of the other person made you feel frightened, scared, intimidated. You repeatedly saying no, it wasn't working, you didn't think you had a choice. You have described, in essence, a sexual offense. So the test to determine the difference between consent, which is lawful, and submission, which is unlawful in an intimate exchange, is best done through looking at the prism of the word freely or looking through that prism. So what I invite young people to do is, as an exercise, is look through that prism and ask yourself, did I do what I did freely because I chose to? If so, it's most likely consent. Or did I do what I did because the pressure made me feel I had no choice, which is most likely submission? So that's where we start with that. Then we can delve more deeply into things and we will as we go into this discussion about the effects of drugs and alcohol and all those types of things but for me there's there's three basic pillars to consent under law Um, did the person give their permission or change their mind freely then we look at age of consent and we can chat about that and then we look at the effects of drugs or alcohol Mm. so having just looked at that first one about around consent the word freely is key and once people get that in their head that I think, in my experience, that gives some real clarity around what consent is and what it isn't and sort of push some of those myths to, to the sideline. Absolutely. I think it, we, we went quite complicated and brought it back to freely. Yeah. You don't, even if you didn't understand everything we just said, if mm. you can just get across in your head, okay, freely, mm. did he or she change their mind freely? Mm. That's the important thing. I think by making it as simple as that and swapping out yes or no with freely, it makes it very clear of how we should be approaching this. 
uh, yeah, and just perhaps as, as we bring this aspect of the chat to a conclusion, another way that we can look at this, and I'll sometimes do this in my talks where I'll take the discussion outside of an intimate exchange to use a metaphor or to use an analogy that yeah. you could then bring back. And one analogy I sometimes use when I'm talking to guys about this, and I'll say, I might say to a group of young men, if, if you're having an intimate exchange with somebody and um, let's say they're okay, you're having a bit of a kiss and a cuddle or whatever, and then you sort of take it to a slightly higher level, what if that person at that point, you know, starts saying no to that? And, and okay, so we start going down that path. What if that person who starts saying no eventually changes their mind? So they stop saying no. Is that consent? And or, or, or what is that? And and often you'll hear the guys saying, oh, well, if somebody starts out saying no and they change their mind, that's consent. Mm. And you say, okay, so consent is when a person changes their mind. Yeah. Mm. Um, another way that we can look at it is I'll say, well, okay, what if I came up to you and I said, give me $10 and you don't want to? And you say, well, no, mate, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to give you $10. And I say, well, come on, you know, I, I want $10. Give me, give me $10. I'm clearly asking you for something you don't want to give me. You're making it clear that you don't want to give it to me. Once I become aware that you don't want to give me what I want, what if I start to increase the pressure against you? What if I start saying, well, hang on, Byron, if you don't give me $10, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punch you in the face. So give me $10. And at that point you think, well, I don't want to get punched in the face by this guy. So I don't want to give him the $10, but that's a better option. So you hold your hand up. You go, okay, mate, okay, there's, there's the money. Mm. Now, if we freeze that there, anybody who's on the receiving end of that exchange, they're never going to say that's consent. You didn't consensually give me the money. Mm. You gave me the money because I threatened to assault you. Now, that's a robbery. That's a criminal offense. You changed your mind. But you but still you gave the money. Yeah, you yeah. didn't change it freely. Exactly. So when we come back into an intimate exchange, consent's not defined by what a person does. Like in that instance, can, the law doesn't say, oh, you gave this bloke $10, so therefore you consented. The law says you gave the $10 across as a result of a threat. You didn't think you had a choice. And you can still say, like, yes, all right, yes, yes, I'll give you the ten, I'll give you the $10. Not consent. But you said yes. Doesn't it's, mean you consented. No, it's been preceded by threats, force, mm. violence. So that's, that's sometimes a discussion I'll use with the boys to say, you know, it's the same then if we come back into an intimate exchange. If you're some with somebody, say, down the back of a party having an intimate exchange and 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 they start to say, actually, so I don't I don't want to do this. If you start to apply pressure to that person and you're applying pressure to get them to change their mind, that's the same principle as me in the $10 thing, applying pressure to you to get the money. Mm. When that person eventually changes their mind like you did and gave me $10, the law says, well, that's not consent because it was preceded by pressure that got the person to change their mind. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there's so many people out there who are probably maybe listening to this, thinking back to intimate exchanges I've had and going through that little test you just said. Mm. And I think but just by providing education, having freely, I would like to hope when a guy's in a situation or even a girl and maybe the other person says, oh, I kind of want to stop, they'll go, okay, freely. And I'll start thinking of that mm. and rather than push because I've listened to that. And that's yeah. why I think having this education can be so powerful because it doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad person. Mm. They just their misunderstanding of consent. And, and also, Byron, you know, another thing that I find is um, overwhelmingly young people that I talk to who have been targeted for a sexual offence, um, usually when they come and talk to me, one of the things they say is, I didn't actually realise that what happened to me was a sexual offence. Now, oftentimes that's because of confusion around consent. Mm. And often what happens is they go to friends after an incident happens, say at a party or something such as that, 
most young people will seek advice from friends. And what can sometimes happen in that space is friends with good intent will say something like, well, okay, you did go down the back of the party with a guy and you started out saying no, but at some point you stopped, so therefore you consented. Mm. Um, And it's almost like, there's another aspect of confusion. Oh, you went down the back of the party with him. That means you consented. You well, went down with him voluntarily. Like it was your choice to go back there. You yeah. didn't have to go back there. Yeah. So, so it's so what can be misconstrued is because you went outside with the guy. That means you've sort of consented yeah. to whatever it is that he wants to and do he's out en- there. He's entitled to do what he wants. Yeah. Right. And you hear this sometimes where I've had young women who have said that my girlfriend's told me because I accepted a lift home with a guy. I sort of consented to getting into the car with them, which wow. meant I consented to what it. So again, once people get the actual legal definition of consent in their mind, not only can that help individuals um, on both sides of this discussion, but it can also assist friends in yeah. providing accurate advice rather than saying to a friend, say a girlfriend, well, you stop saying no. I think that's consent. You can mm. say, um, when you stopped saying no, what was the guy doing? Oh, he was threatening me. He had hold of me. He had me pinned against the garage. Oh, goodness. Well, that's this is not consent. Yeah. Just like you'd say to a friend who came inside and said, I've just had to give a guy $10. Mm. Really? Why? Oh, he threatened to punch me in the face. Yeah. And I will say, oh, mate, that's not consent. That's a robbery. Yeah. You know? And yeah. this has actually been me. Like, after listening to our episode, I'm like, people will say something. I'll be like, and I'll just hit them with all these facts. I'm like, actually, mm. consent means this and this and this. Mm. You know? and, Mm. I learned that from our one hour episode. Mm. And so I'm very hyper aware of this stuff. And, yeah. you know, I've seen my mates, some stuff has happened with my, my mates. It happens both ways. Obviously, a lot more likely for women <clears> in this age group. But I've I've kind of been that friend because, as you mentioned, I have that education and I've been just trying to educate as many people as I can around mm. that. And mm. so it really benefits every single party if they can find out more about this. And, and look, you know, Byron, as we bring this into a bit of a close to this aspect, let, let's be clear also, and we had this discussion earlier, that of course there's the moral and the ethical yeah. issue here as well. Of course there is. And yeah. decent moral ethical people don't impose themselves on others, be it intimately or otherwise, by using force. Mm. So we have that moral and ethical issue. Really what we're talking about here is when that moral and ethical also becomes crosses a legal line. Mm. So when we talk about consent, of course, the, there is the moral, there is the eth- ethical component. So, for example, as we go into a little bit later, you know, having an intimate exchange with somebody who is just way, way too drunk to consent. Well, we're crossing moral and ethical lines there. But what we're talking about also on top of all that is the legal line because yeah. that, that, that's that's a part of the equation as well. It's not the only part, but it's a part which is you can get some real clarity over. It is designed yeah. to give you specifics and clarity. Mm. So you have literal legal definitions, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I also want to point out, and we'll go into the stranger danger thing, but the example you said of you know, a friend will go, back to their friends and she'll tell them what happened and they'll just say, oh, that's fine. That that happens all the time. Mm. I get back with guys or something. Mm. And because, once again, we associate, you know, sexual assault and stuff, like in the movies where they they pull up her dress and it's aggressive and there's cuts and it's a dark dark alleyway or whatever, whereas it can be just you didn't consent and maybe you were a little bit uncomfortable. You said something, he kept pushing you and you just kind of gave in. Mm. And so therefore you feel like nothing has happened. But now that you have awareness around what consent is. Yeah, and, you know, from, again, coming back to a purely legal perspective, um, consent laws are no different from an interaction between a stranger or two strangers than what they are, people who have met at a party or people who are in a relationship or people who, in fact, are married. Mm. So the application of consent law 
is from a legal context the same across all of those all of those categories. Now, people's interpretation of consent law may differ in those categories. Well, that's that's their interpretation. Mm. But we, if you go to the law, it doesn't have one law of consent for people who are strangers, one law of consent that applies to a year 11, year 12 party this weekend, another law of consent that applies to a couple who've been married for 22 years. Yeah. We have one consent law and it applies across the board. And as you rightly say, Byron, we would have clarity or a clearer picture of consent when it's a stranger who commits the crime. Mm. But consent law is really no different to the couple that have met at the party. They're getting on pretty well. They go outside for a bit of fresh air, a bit of a chat, and then he doesn't let her come back in, and he does something intimately to that young woman sexually Mm. without her consent. The laws around consent there are the same as if that young woman had been targeted by a stranger. What gets confusing is people mistakenly think it's a bit different because you know the guy. He seemed like a really nice guy. And do you know what I'm sick of hearing from guys mm. is just when they say, oh, just because you regret having sex with him doesn't mean that he sexually assaulted you. Mm. And I hear stuff like this and they'll be like, oh, mm. just because you regret it or just because whatever. And it's like, well, we're making the women feel inadequate. And they're not going to have the courage to step up because they're not sure what consent is. Yeah. The issue around regret is an interesting one too. And and I think that – and often this will come up in my my seminars where – and it's usually the guys – Mm. um, but not always. Often the girls will say – I see a lot of comments around it. Yeah. The girls might – or the guys, doesn't matter. A young person might say to me, okay, what if – what if two people get together and they have an intimate exchange which is consensual? Mm? And then – Afterwards, next day, two days later, next week, one of them regrets having that exchange. Mm. Is Does that mean that that regret, two to three days later, can retrospectively remove consent? No, mm. it doesn't. It doesn't. So we've got to distinguish between, you know, if somebody – here are the facts. If somebody comes up to me after one of my talks and says, hey, look, I, I had an intimate exchange at a party two weekends ago – I, can, I think I consented to it. Now I wished I hadn't, so I regret it. Mm. Does that mean I can go back in time and remove consent? Well, no, you can't. So what I do with that young person, I say, okay, let's look at what happened at the party to determine if, in fact, you did actually right, consent. because they don't know the definition. Yeah, so we go back and you say, okay, um, at the party, when you got with this person, did you do what you did? freely because you wanted to you chose to yeah it was fine were you subjected to any pressure threats force no 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 okay so there's our first one then then we look at the ages of those concerned okay we cover that we can chat about that more detail then i'd say to them had you been drinking now they might say well yeah i'd had a couple of drinks well how many drinks do you think you may have had oh probably maybe two or three drinks over what period of time or through the space of everything okay so would it be right to say that you weren't so affected by alcohol or drugs that you didn't know what you're doing? Oh, no, 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 I was mm. fine. Okay, so two weeks ago at a party, you had an intimate exchange with another person, which you did freely, you're of legal age to consent, and you're in a sober and rational state of mind. Yes. Now, a week, two days, three weeks later, you wish you hadn't done that. That's right. Well, respectfully, that's regret. Mm. You can't take that regret back and change whether consent was given or whether it wasn't. You gave consent legally. You can't go back and retrospectively change that. Now, that the, the, the end result is different if when we go back to the, to the inter- interaction and we start to apply the legal microscope to it, 
we find that the the young person didn't actually consent at all. She thought she did, or he should. Yeah, they they thought that they had consented, but under the microchip they didn't. Now, then there's a third component, and this is the one I think that people like to lump in with, with, with regret. People who regret giving... Uh, consent and then sort of question it. That's actually far more common than people who know they consented, who try to claim that they didn't, mm. who lie about it. That's actually very, very rare. And and to be fair, when it happens, it's not that difficult to identify. So let's get that clear. There is a fundamental difference between somebody regretting consent, which was lawfully given, mm. versus somebody who regrets consent and makes up that they didn't yes. consent because that's a false complaint, which is a criminal offence. But most do not fall into that category. So the regret question is, in fact, I think a valid one, but we need to be valid in also how we look at it and how we answer it. Mm. So, yes, you can regret an action, but if you took the action lawfully, regret doesn't suddenly make what you did unlawful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think yeah. my advice to anyone who does feel regret is take what you've learned and apply it into your future. So hopefully this doesn't happen again. Sure. You know, take those learnings. Mm. Um, but otherwise, is there any final thoughts around consent? Anything you missed and you want to get across? Yeah, look, I think that's for this for this particular part of our chat, this is probably it. I guess people are sitting here going, well, okay, what about if someone's drunk things? Well, we're going to do a separate one on that because yep. that's, um, that's a separate pillar of consent law and there's confusion around that. So what I don't want to do is, is have this discussion too multi-layered. I, I, I'd like this discussion to be looking at what we've looked at. What are the myths around consent? What are the actual definitions of consent that we can put alongside those myths? And then is there a, a sort of a test to to simplify that with some accuracy? So mm. I think we've done those three things. And then I think um, um, once, we've, once we've locked this one away, then we can open up the discussion in another podcast about, okay, what does the law say about someone being drunk or drug affected? Yeah. We can have that and, as a separate And we'll do discussion. a whole other podcast on age as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. E- equally important. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, otherwise that's it for this episode. Um, and maybe we'll create a whole separate outro, but did you want to, in like one or two minutes, if someone is listen, listening to this and they're going, mm. oh my God, I didn't consent three weeks ago and they're mm. starting to realize this stuff, mm. what actions should they take? Yeah, look, that's a, that's a really good question. And um, I guess, and I, I, I have this discussion a lot in my talks where young people come forward and, and, and often with friends and they're upset because they've realized as a result of hearing some of these definitions that what happened to them is potentially a criminal offense. My advice to that person is, um, first step, just just let this information sink in. Mm. It's, it's, it's confronting. So you don't want to load that person up with a whole lot of other things to do. Yeah. Now, once once you've absorbed this and you've sat down and, and, and come to the realisation, okay, based on what I've heard, I think that what happened to me last week, last month, last year is, a, is, is an offence. The next thing that I would encourage you to do, if you feel so inclined, is to talk with somebody about this to look at, you know, what your options are. Now, that somebody uh, could initially be a friend, mm. of course, but we've got to be careful and, and respectful of the fact that if we're talking about 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds, um, the friend may not quite know what to do. And, yeah. and, and, and talking to a friend is fantastic. It's great. But maybe the job of the friend then is to encourage this person to, to you know, if they have these concerns, to take them now to, okay, maybe a, a trusted adult, a parent. Would um, you suggest like helplines? 
Definitely, yeah. yeah. Helplines. We'll, we'll link a helpline below. Yeah, let, that's a really good one. Helplines are great because they give a point of contact that can be initially anonymous. Yes, that's and, it. And and a person and a person can seek advice without feeling like they're committed to having to have that advice acted upon. So yeah, I think that would be a really good thing. And there's a lot of yeah. different helplines that you can contact. Of course, within the schooling system, where I do a lot of my talks in the universities, there are a lot of support um, structures within those organizations with counselors and access to um, external help and things. Mm. Um, and of course, of course, part of this discussion, we would have to include that if you felt so inclined, yes, of course, you can go to the police. Yeah. You don't have to go to the police, but certainly it is an option. And it's an option that some people take up and some don't. Um, so the problem with going to police is it becomes a whole thing now everyone knows what's happened You've, a lot of privacy is gone and so I think that's why a lot of people aren't comfortable going to the police it can be it can be um, but the, the way I would counter that and this is not me saying as an ex-police officer that you have to go to the police my advice to people is this there is absolutely nothing wrong if you choose to by going along and talking, say, for example, to a detective in the sex crimes unit so that she or he can sit down with you and say, mm. hey, tell us what's happened and we can give you some advice or some guidelines. And um, I think understandably, because for most people, they've had no dealings with the police. Mm. So understandably, what some people think is, oh, the moment I sit down to discuss this, it means that the, there's going to be an investigation that's going yeah. to go to court. No, 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 no. Not that until is, you decide. That is not the case. You choose. Mm. You choose. The only exceptions to those rules are, you know, when we're talking about very young children and things such mm. as that. Yeah. But the people listening to this podcast are of an age whereby they could go to the police and they could have this discussion just to sort of say, hey, what are my options here? Now, I'll come back again. I want to stress this. You don't have to do this. Mm. You don't have to do this. But bear in mind, we're often, I'm often talking to somebody who up until half an hour ago didn't even realize that what happened to them was a criminal offense. Now they realize that it is. Running around inside their head is, well, what do I do with this? Mm. We well, don't have to do anything. But if you choose to, you can speak to friends. You can ring a helpline. You can chat to a counselor. You can chat to parents. You can chat to an adult. And, of course, if you choose to, you can go to the police. Don't think going to the police means that you're locked into a process that you can't get out of. Yes. It's just not like that. Because that's what I – honestly, that's what I thought as yeah. well. I didn't realize we could um, go see – because the good thing about going and seeing a detective is they know the rules. They'll give. They'll probably do that test that you just given us mm. Mm. versus a friend or they're not really too sure. And I think mm. there's a lot of value in that. And, look, the, what the police will often do is say, hey, look, um, we've had this discussion – Think about, you know, go away and think about it. Have a chat about this, you know, with, with your parents, what have you. Here's, here's my contact. Um, if you decide that you want to take this a little further, let me know. We can look at what the next steps are. It's very, very low key. It's it's not perhaps like what you see on TV. Yeah, where they go in, yeah. the case gets set up. Yeah, and the police are running scene. out the door, jumping into cars with sirens on. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's just, it's, it's not like, but understandably, people who have never gone through that process, very never gone through that process, and they ask friends who have never gone through that process. Understandably, they get a an impression which may not quite be in line with reality. Mm. Yeah, mm. amazing. There's some really good options. But there. I think the helplines um, attached to the podcast are really important. Yes, one. I think helplines yeah. are a great one. Just, I think especially when it comes to sexual assault, uh, being anonymous is great. You yeah, can just call them up. They're Certainly. professionals. In those early earlier um, uh, part of the process, where you're just wanting to accumulate information and advice. Um, that I think that for many people, not for all, but for many people, that's that's quite an, uh, uh, 
an accessible way yeah. to get that information. And it's very healthy to talk to someone about mm, it, I think. Definitely. So thank you for this episode. Okay. And um, yeah, that's it for this episode. Okay, thanks, Byron. Thank you so much for making it all the way through this episode. After hearing the contents of this podcast, many may realize the sad reality of what has happened to them. If this is you and you seek help or guidance on what to do next, please click the link in the show notes. It'll redirect you to some resources as well as a helpline if you want to talk to someone anonymous. As you'll hear in other episodes, Brent and I do mention how important it is to start talking to someone, whether that's a family member, a friend, or it could be someone anonymous on a helpline. Um, They are trained professionals and we highly recommend you start this conversation As you'll hear as well, in no way do you have to report this crime. This is completely up to you. But know that there are resources and links provided in the show notes below should you seek guidance.